the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Get ready to take notes because school is now in session. Tackling the biggest issues in education, this is Education America. Save the classroom, save the country. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Abigail Johnson. Welcome to Education America, where we are working to save the classroom so that we can save the country. Join the conversation. K-12 education is the playing field where the battle is on for the future of our country. And as the 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, succinctly stated, the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. Tonight, we are welcoming back a guest and friend we have had on the show numerous times, Catherine Kirsten. Catherine is a writer, an attorney, a senior policy fellow, and director of the Center of the American, or at the director of the Center of the American Experiment, having also served as its chair from 1996 to 1998. Catherine has also served as a Metro columnist for the Star Tribune from 2005 to 2008. She has also served as an opinion columnist for the paper between 1996 and 2013. Catherine was also a founding director of the Center and served as its chair from 1996 to 1998. Catherine, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks again for joining us on Education America. Great to be with you. Yeah. It's very exciting to have Abigail here and, and Catherine yes. on as our guest. And, uh, and you know what mm-hmm. I was just realizing? We have on, in, on the show today, exactly everyone in, on this show has, is a mother of four. Oh, that's great. Thought, well, how, what an odd, you know, kind of fun coincidence. So. Well, fun fact. Yes. Fun fact. Yes, yeah, so it's it. been a long time, Catherine, since I know that you've been on the podcast and even since you and I have had a chance to connect. Sure. Um, you know, one thing that we kind of wanted to chat about just very briefly um, before we get into the excellent article that you wrote for the Center for the American Experiment regarding CRT is, um, you know, a lot of times on this show, we talk about a lot of things that, to be frank, can get a little bit discouraging. We're we're talking about some of the issues and things that we really hope will change over time in education. And recently in the United States, we experienced some positive news, some change that is actually happening due to a lot of really, really hard work from parents, grassroots activists, um, and uh, some really good politicians, and mm-hmm. that's in the state of Florida. So we did just want to call attention to that to encourage parents out there that participation 
and um, in your child's education and in your community really does matter. So Mm -hmm. what I'm discussing here, if um, listeners aren't aware, um, probably because they have a life, uh, (laughs) is is that we um, have experienced some really uh, great swings on school boards Mm -hmm. in the Mm -hmm. state of Florida. So um, within the state of Florida, while the government itself is... uh, Generally, very, I would say, Republican and now under the leadership of Governor Ron DeSantis, fairly conservative. Um, you know, of course, it's very school boards are very local. So it shifts and changes based on the local population. Uh, and so one thing that was really encouraging is actually looking at the school board elections um, that occurred in the Miami-Dade area of Florida, which is not known for being terribly conservative. In fact, tends to mm-hmm. be more mm-hmm. liberal. It was very exciting. And I just want listeners to know that these uh, school board elections actually swung um, the the kind of the situation or the uh, pendulum. S- the pendulum. pendulum. Thank mm-hmm. you. I'm going, read my mind, Rebecca. <laughs> read my mind. I know you can do this. <laughs> so it, what used to be three to two, so three liberal um, seats and two conservative mm-hmm. on that school board in Miami-Dade. And it thanks to all the hard work of people in that area, it is now four conservative seats and one mm-hmm. liberal seat. So we are really excited for, again, more changes that are happening in Florida and excited to see how that may spread across the United States. Yeah, and actually, yes, I, it, it, oh, go ahead, uh, Kathy. Let me just say yeah. uh, that I did I did just grab uh, yesterday's Wall Street Journal, mm-hmm. and it says 25 of the 30 school board members endorsed by Governor DeSantis right. won or advanced their say. raises. Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, it says candidates won three elections in Sarasota County, creating a new 4-1 majority there, and two big wins in Miami-Dade, so... That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, so it's not just Miami-Dade. No, no. Yeah, I, that's, I'm so glad you quoted that, uh, Catherine, because I actually had the numbers wrong. I thought it was 23 out of 25. So 25 out of 30 endorsed candidates by Ron DeSantis won election. Right. And he really took a playbook out of Governor Young Youngkin's yep. um, mm-hmm. playbook and um, really emphasized education and parent involvement in education and selected people that he endorsed on that basis, and clearly that resonated with voters. Mm-hmm. And That's right. Yeah. And, and the Wall Street Journal says here, Florida's results follow parental revolts in school board elections from San Francisco to Texas. Awesome. So, that is know, excellent. Part of, a, part of a trend. Even San Francisco? Oh, my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> That's really incredible. <laughs> Way to go over San Francisco. All right. Well, we're we're going to jump back in here then with um, our conversation that we have had with you many times, Catherine, regarding um, the CRT and the uh, the new ethnic standard strand um, in mm-hmm. the new social studies standards that are still about to go before an administrative law judge. I believe that hasn't happened yet, right? Right, and we don't know when it will happen, but okay. uh, we do know it will happen. Yes, yes. Okay, so we're going to jump in there, and I'm going to let um, Abigail just kind of so begin to-, to ask you some questions about that sure. great article you wrote. Yeah, so let's just chat about, I mean, there's a lot here. It was really fun to kind of dig into. Um, re- you did such a wonderful job, Catherine, of just really going into not just, um, you know, the base model of what what's going into these, but what is going on behind the scenes? Yeah, and where did and it come exactly from? And who where did it come the from? So we would love so to just ask you about that. Yeah. Um, you know, can you just give us a brief synopsis of what this fifth strand is and why is it controversial? Maybe we'll just start there. Yeah. Sure, sure. Well, 
the fifth strand uh, is three uh, standards that were added um, to history, geography, um, economics, and civics that have always been in our state standards uh, without without any kind of approval uh, by the legislature. Mm-hmm. And uh, ethnic studies essentially is a, not to exaggerate, a, a radical uh, ideology that grew out of the 1968 student strikes and riots in California mm. uh, from a group called Third World Liberation Front. Mm. They've been working for decades to get uh, where they are today. So ethnic studies uh, it teaches kids to, to view our nation's social and political institutions with suspicion and hostility, and it tries to get them to join uh, what ethnic studies leaders have called a political struggle to change uh, the, the social, economic, and cultural system we have in America. And uh, just to give you a, a bit of an idea of what uh, this is all about, mm-hmm. I'm quoting uh, from one of, the, one of these Minnesota ethnic studies leaders. Uh, he says ethnic studies curricula that engages all students, quote, dialogue to name and ultimately transform oppressive social and social conditions within schools and the larger society. Mm. I mean, these folks are literally about uh, disrupting and dismantling and replacing our fundamental institutions. Mm-hmm. And they make no bone, bones about it. They tell you that. Right. Which is so sh- shocking, really, to me that they're willing to be so transparent about it. Given the fact that, uh, you know, maybe they live in circles where they just think that the vast majority of Americans agree with them. I'm not sure. Um, no, no. They know. want to change our kids' minds. Right. Uh, so they have right. a, you know, a very clear program to do that. Right, right, right. I'm clear on that. I'm just so surprised that they're so transparent about it because, honestly, mm-hmm. I think the vast majority of Americans are not in favor of this. And we're seeing that. You know, Minneapolis has had a, I believe it's 13% drop in their attendance, their public school attendance since 2019. And this is the trend across America. I think after, um, was it two years after COVID hit, I think I'd heard that there was at least 8% nationwide, I think, loss in um, public school attendance. So, you know, it's interesting to me that they're so transparent and they've been at this for a long time and they haven't been transparent, but now... They just seem to think that they maybe own the enough of the school boards and what have you that they think that they can just right. go ahead and move forward with this. And I think that um, they they rightly believe that the the kind of core components of our civil society. I'm talking about business, you know, private business groups, um, mm-hmm. civic groups, uh, as you say, school board. It, it, school board, school administrative associations, Mm -hmm. that they are uh, intimidated about pushing Mm -hmm. back Mm -hmm. on this. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they're right. The Mm -hmm. media is is basically uh, in support, or at least certainly doesn't call into question what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So I think they've Mm -hmm. tried to seize this moment. And that's why it's so great you are getting the word out on this. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. We are. We are certainly trying. That's for sure. And Catherine, while we're talking about kind of this this fifth strand, which I'd kind of like you to maybe chat just a little bit more about with ethnic studies and in just a minute, chat about, again, what I found so interesting about your article, again, was was the what, but really the who and mm-hmm. where they came from. But one yes. thing that I think that would be really good for 
listeners to keep in mind as we're going through this and talking about this was you so well and clearly put out in your article the standards that we are supposed to be implementing um, according to the U.S. and Minnesota constitutions. Um, Education state standards must be both, quote, Mm -hmm. objective, measurable, and consistent with the U.S. and Minnesota constitutions. They must raise academic expectations for students, teachers, and schools. Mm -hmm. And so when we're chatting about this, and again, I do really want to get into this, I really want listeners to key in on this and think about, you know, is this something that's measurable? Does this sound like objective evidence? Um, or, mm-hmm. or are we really propagating one set of ideas without any room for rational discussion or even respectful discussion mm-hmm. on these topics? Yes, so, and, and the, the points you raise, Abigail, are exactly the kinds of points that we and others will be raising before the administrative law judge mm-hmm. uh, when this actually uh, goes you know, to that point in rulemaking. Mm-hmm. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I just I don't understand how an, a law judge could look at what's in our Constitution and say this is that, consistent. That this is consistent. Mm-hmm. But but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Why don't we mm-hmm. would you mind just kind of chatting more about again, where did this fifth strand come from? So it came from you. You are talking about this education liberation group. Could you give mm-hmm. us a little bit yeah. of background that is in the article about that group? Yeah, especially sure. Ed Lib Minnesota, I think, is yes. kind of key. Mm hmm. So so basically what happened was that in July 2020, when the Minnesota Department of Education um, named its uh, social studies standards committee to to, um, take on the job of reviewing and revising our social studies standards, it did something unprecedented. It bypassed subject matter experts, and instead it stacked this drafting committee with uh, a a group of uh, people who are uh, allied with uh, education for liberation minister Mm -hmm. organization. Mm -hmm. That group itself was started in 2019. It basically started a group called the Minnesota Ethnic Studies Coalition, and it was from that group and their allies that our Department of Education drew kind of core leaders of the group that wrote these new standards. So who was, who is Education for Liberation? Well, uh, it's, you know, this is typical of, of community organizers on the left. It was a creation uh, of a, a national group called the Education for Liberation Network. Mm-hmm. This is a group that has been very active in promoting Ethnic studies in California, no surprise, kind of the, the epicenter of, of this kind of ideology. And the Edlib Network makes no secrets of its truly revolutionary agenda. Mm-hmm. Uh, they say, for example, they are about promoting the transformation of existing American institutions and the creation of new ones that reflect uh, their beliefs. So what are their beliefs? Well, for one thing, uh, aside from you know, disrupting and dismantling our fundamental institutions, they want to abolish police. Uh, they want to entirely abolish uh, police departments. They want to abolish uh, any kind of border controls. Uh, they want, you know, uh, this is what they understand liberation to 
to mm-hmm, be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, this this local organization has already generated a curriculum that it says is consistent with Minnesota state standards that would teach fifth graders to, um, well, that would, under, under the ethnic studies uh, umbrella, it would teach our kids to, quote, understand the roots of contemporary systems of oppression and frame everything within that context. So fifth graders would examine contemporary policing and its historical roots in early America. What the curriculum teaches is that our police departments uh, sprang directly from slave patrols of the Old South. (laughs) Sixth graders would study the impact of, quote, Minnesota's juvenile justice system on youth from historically disenfranchised groups. Mm -hmm. And uh, there would be high school standards to build on that, suggesting that the very idea of criminality is a racist notion. Right, which is... Just so shocking, isn't it, Catherine? I mean, it is really shocking at the the how extreme these notions are that they wanting they're wanting to yeah. teach to our students. Well, you're listening yeah. to Education America on AM 1280, The Patriot, and tonight we have in studio founder of the Center of the American Experiment and frequent contributor on our show, Catherine Kirsten. And we're focusing today on an article she recently published called "Doubling Down on CRT." which takes a deep dive into the addition of the fifth strand of the newly revised social studies standards, ethnic studies. And Catherine, you mentioned a little bit earlier about this education liberation, Edlib Minnesota, and how it comes from a larger national group. And one of the things you mentioned in your article um, is a person by the name of Freer, Brazilian Paulo Freer. Oh, Paulo Freer. Yeah, author yeah. of Pedagogy of the Oppressed, um, published in 1963, or 1968, excuse me. And he maintained in his book that education's purpose is not to pass on knowledge, which is what I think most of us think education is for, uh, but to build revolutionary consciousness among the oppressed to achieve liberation by overthrowing the system. Correct. So here's here's the person upon which this fifth strand is based. These yep. notions of education isn't about passing on knowledge. Well, heaven forbid, I'm sure the vast majority of Americans are absolutely thinking that education is about passing on knowledge and helping people become good citizens. But right. instead, they are usurping our whole system and trying to actually carry this through, not just into the social studies standards, but my understanding is um, Governor Walls has even proposed legislation to carry this through all subject areas. Isn't Every subject matter area from K through 12 is what Governor Walls proposed yeah. to the legislature. But this book, I mean, most people haven't heard of Paulo Freire, right. although if you recall the big liberation a theology movement yes. in the 80s, entirely Paulo Freire. I didn't know that, because yeah, it actually made me think connection. of it. Really? Well, that's why. But but this book has been one of the most assigned books in teacher preparation institutions, teacher colleges, uh, for decades. So hmm. we may not have heard of it, but many, many teachers have encountered these ideas in their own um, schools of education. Unbelievable. Well, yeah. and a lot of the, it, you were talking about some of the head, uh, some of the big players with this Edlib Minnesota group, um, 
some things that they have published that they think is really important. And again, I want parents to really key in on, I mean, it's easy to get lost in kind of the backstory of all of this, which is really fascinating, but you can kind of get discombobulated, especially if you have little ones that are interrupting you every 30 seconds of your life. (laughs) I mean, this is my life currently at the moment. So I really want parents to understand, you know, it's very easy for, um, you know, people of goodwill to hear the word ethnic studies and you think, oh, well, I mean, that sounds good. Like, you know, we want people to learn about, Mm -hmm. I want my kids to learn about different cultures and how, you know, our shared values and our Mm -hmm. different values. I want them to be aware that some people live differently than we do. That's Mm -hmm. what I I think the majority of Minnesotans think. Yeah, well, of course I want people to know that, you know, people come from different places Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. you know, and appreciate that. Really want parents to hear that is not what this is, right? And and no. and the purposes behind it. Well, the, the whole mm-hmm. these the, the folks who are doing this are extremely skilled um, community organizers mm-hmm. on the Saul Alinsky model. If you know who he was, kind of mm-hmm. the grandfather of this kind of uh, um, subversive, let's say. Uh, quote, mm-hmm. community organizing. They understand what you're saying, Abigail. They they are great at manipulating words. Mm-hmm. So when they um, make a pitch to the legislature, let's say, they, they talk about exactly what you did. You know, this is all mm-hmm. about kids seeing themselves in the curriculum. It's, it's all about um, making kids feel better about themselves it is nothing of the kind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they understand that that is that's something Americans approve of, and so they slide this in, uh, you know, as uh, skilled political operatives. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, they have, we are essentially fooled as to what is really going on. Right, well, of course. Well, I mean, parents, if they have kids and they've got jobs, it's really hard to keep track yeah, of all of this stuff. And I thought you did such a nice job mm-hmm. talking about really just quoting themselves. You talk yeah. about how in yeah. November of 2020, um, two of the larger players in this Edlib Minnesota, um, Brian Lozinski <sighs> and Jonathan <laughs> Hamilton, co-authored Red. a MinPost article titled The Time for Ethnic Studies is Now. And yeah. there they highlighted, and again, I just want parents to hear this, their upcoming standard revision process as, I quote, a unique opportunity to rid Minnesota of its Eurocentric whitewashed curriculum. And I just <laughs> yes. want parents to hear that. Does mm-hmm. this sound measurable? Does this sound well, he, objective? Yes. And does this sound he, consistent with our Constitution? Yeah, and that too. Right. <laughs> well, here, here's another example of what you're talking about from Jonathan Hamilton, who was on the standards uh, drafting committee. He called Minnesota's public education system, quote, a white supremacist puzzle that must be taken apart and exposed for the lie that it is. Mm. Hmm. Okay, let's 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 have you repeat that and let yes. that sink in one more time. So Jonathan Hamilton, who is really the the leader or a leader of Education for Liberation Minnesota, which essentially uh, drafted these standards, has described uh, Minnesota's public education system as quote a white supremacist puzzle that must be taken apart and exposed for the lie it is. Unbelievable. And and the way this plays out, you know, I'm looking at uh, the statement in your article about um, Ed Minnesota maintaining that schools must view students through the lens of skin color. Of course, you know, this is what they, Mm -hmm. that's basically what Hamilton is saying. 
But right. how do they want to do it? It says, well, it claims that black students who misbehave in school are consciously or unconsciously resisting racist educational contexts. Okay, yeah. so let's think about this. We've got, you know, little, you know, more maybe fourth, fifth graders or middle schoolers who are just typical teenagers. I don't care what color of their skin, right? Yep. They're going to misbehave. That's yep. just the nature of kids. But now if you're black and you're misbehaving, well, that's just a sign that you've been in this oppressive system. <laughs> you know, how ridiculous. Yes. And, you know, how many and, and how degrading, you know, you and I both have talked about this before. We we have several friends that um, are part of the Exodus Minnesota group. And you right. know, there's so many people we could talk about who would agree with them that. This has this this is so degrading as black women, black mothers. The last thing they want is their children to be told, "Oh yeah, you can just go ahead and just misbehave because that's just a sign that you've been oppressed in the school system." Well, that's not empowering. That's, that's and what not does that mean for you, a future employment? Right. You know, or, I mean, you you are shackling these kids right. by by teaching them uh, that. Uh, they, as you say, they are degraded in this way. They are helpless. They, they have to have, uh, you know, some, some, uh, you know, beneficent folks, uh, who's going to fight the fight for them and tell them that, uh, they can do nothing on their own because they're so oppressed right. and they're so powerless. And yeah. it's so damaging. It is so damaging. And yet they do this in the name of trying to help them. Yeah, and and yeah. that's how you end up with a book like Jason Riley, Stop Helping Us, right? You know? yeah. <laughs> we don't need your help if that's going to be your help. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, we only have a few minutes left here, Catherine. Um, I wanted to see if you could talk a little bit about what happens next if this goes through. You know, this is really damaging, as you have said. Um, and there has been some legislation proposed by Walls. I know last year it did not go through. Um, I think it's actually been proposed two years in a row, and it didn't go yep. through. Mm-hmm. So, you know, where do we stand on that? Do you know? Well, um, I, I can tell you that, uh, as usual, these people are trying to work around the legislative process because mm-hmm. they have not been successful in getting mm-hmm. anything like this to the legislature. So they are doing this through the standards, which mm-hmm. don't require any kind of legislative approval. They are also doing it through the um, Professional Educator Licensing and Standards yes. Boards, mm-hmm. where, uh, again, there is no legislative uh, you know, approval needed. The entire board was appointed by Waltz, and there they're going to require that all new teachers have to study all of this in college in order to be licensed. Mm-hmm. And they want to affect not only public school teachers, but private school teachers. Mm-hmm. Most teachers in private schools are, are licensed. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that'll change. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, they got, they must study this in order even to get a teaching license. Right. So that's just one of a number of examples yeah. of the way they're trying to get around public approval mm-hmm. for this. Yeah, and that hearing was just on Wednesday. I actually spoke at that hearing and as did a number of people. I think there were 59 people speaking against it and 11 that spoke for it. But really quickly, the point of that is to really usurp even the social studies standards because, of course, it's it's the linchpin. If you can get the teacher licensing standards to incorporate all this stuff, 
Well, then it really doesn't matter whether you have the social studies standards or not, because if they're doing what they say they're supposed to do to have their license, then they are going to incorporate these really debilitating mindsets. So it's it's very concerning. um, And I do hope our listeners will look into that and really speak out against those and write to the administrative law judge on that. Well, Catherine, we have been so happy to have you back in our, back by phone in our studio today. And I hope our listeners will continue to research this topic and get involved in their children's education. And Abigail, um, it's been a pleasure once again to talk about these very important topics with you this afternoon. Absolutely. And parents, we just want to remind you, as always, when someone tells you who they are, believe them. Mm-hmm. and act accordingly. Thank mm-hmm. you so much, Catherine Kirsten, for joining us this evening. It's been a joy to have you here. Yep. And we hope that you'll listen to this podcast and every other podcast at savetheclassroom.com and like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. See you again next week. Thank you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com